You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. one must recognize that it's impossible to do everything. If a leader tries to do everything, it's called megalomania. And that never works. Because what happens when a leader tries to do everything, the leader ends up getting burnt out and you have a bunch of unhappy people as the leader steps on their toes to do the work and not allowing them the freedom to do their work. A leader must know how to delegate responsibility and then to allow people to use their gifts accordingly. A leader who tries to do everything will burn out. There will be many unhappy people as this leader will inevitably step on their toes. This is why Pastor Dave encourages leaders to have a sound support system in place. A leader hires people they can trust, so use them as you've hired them to do. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 4 as he begins his message, Solomon Administrator Scholar. Chapter 4 of 1 Kings. Chapter 4 of 1 Kings. We're going to get through the entire chapter. God had given Solomon great wisdom. He'd given him this beautiful wisdom when Solomon asked for understanding on how to rule God's people. Solomon demonstrated that wisdom when he handled the two harlots and the child they had. His judgment that was rendered there became the talk of all Israel. And everyone feared him, it said, because they saw the great wisdom that he possessed and they knew it was directly from God. They knew that he now had God's wisdom. So they began to fear him. But the kingdom still needed to be managed. There was much to do and Solomon, although he had great wisdom, could not manage the kingdom by himself. It was too great a task. Therefore, Using the wisdom that God had given him, he chose capable men, associates, if you will, and allowed these men to use their gifts to serve the Lord while serving the people of Israel. And it's interesting to me that Solomon recognized that it was a daunting task. The kingdom wouldn't run itself. There were many parts to the kingdom, many facets in the kingdom, various different things that needed to be attended to, and Solomon knew that he couldn't do it by himself. So he chose wise men, and then he trained them, and then he allowed them the autonomy, which means he gave them the freedom to do the work that God had called them to do, but yet he supervised them. And as a leader, one must recognize that it's impossible to do everything. If a leader tries to do everything, it's called megalomania. And that never works. Because what happens when a leader tries to do everything, the leader ends up getting burnt out, and you have a bunch of unhappy people as the leader steps on their toes to do the work and not allowing them the freedom to do their work. A leader must know how to delegate responsibility and then to allow people to use their gifts accordingly. And we have a model for us. We have a model for us given in Scripture. Turn for me, if you will, to Exodus 18. 
In Exodus 18, Moses is visiting his father-in-law, Jethro. Moses is visiting his father-in-law, Jethro, bringing the wife and the kids back so that they could have some time with the father-in-law. Now remember, in this culture, the elder generation was highly esteemed, and they almost always wanted to live together. But Zipporah had left dad and went with Moses, and they had children together. So now Moses has come back. They're on their way from Egypt. They've just left Egypt some time ago, and they're on their way to the mountain of God, and they stop off in Midian to see Jethro. And he's there. And they have this great conversation, and Jethro gives them this great testimony. But specifically, let's read 13 through, oh, I don't know, maybe the end of the chapter, probably, I don't know. Let's see. In 13 it says, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning till evening. So when Moses, his father-in-law, saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning till evening? Moses has said to father-in-law, Because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, That thing you do is not good. Both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the law and show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that shall be bring to you, but every small matter they themselves so judge, so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God is so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. And Moses does this. Moses does this. And it says in Deuteronomy that God wanted Moses to do this. God wanted Moses to do this. He wanted them to think. It wasn't that Moses was unfit to do the work. It wasn't that he was unfit to hear those disputes. It wasn't that he didn't care about their disputes. It wasn't that the job was beneath him from some way. And it wasn't that the people didn't want Moses to hear the disputes. That wasn't the question. The problem was Moses was one person, and there was nearly five million of them. The odds weren't real great there. And surely with five million people, I'm sure there was a dispute or two every now and then, right? So Moses had his hands full. The job was just simply too big. All his energies were spent unwisely, and justice was delayed for many people in Israel. So Jethro has this plan that he thinks of God, and it is of God. And we have a great model for us 
a great model for us, not only for here, but also for ministry. And the model continues, if you will turn now, go to Acts 6. In Acts 6, there's a problem because the apostles are distributing the food to the poor. They get up in the morning and they distribute the food that they collect to the poor. And they don't have any time for prayer and for teaching God's word. Just like Moses didn't have any time to teach the children of Israel God's law, God's statutes, and to teach them how to live. The disciples and the apostles were burdened down by this distribution of food. There were Hellenistic Jews, which means Jews who were Greek. They were upset because they thought that their ladies or widows were being slighted. So they came and complained to the apostles. They came to the apostles. So the twelve summoned together. Look at verse 2 in chapter 6. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They're not saying they're above serving tables. They've been serving tables. They've been waiting on people. What they're saying is the word of God is more important. The word of God is most important. And their job was to deliver the word of God. That's what they're saying here. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. You see the pattern here. You see the pattern. It's fully, fully demonstrated here. The disciples aren't saying, hey, this job is too menial for us. We're too good for this job. We don't do this kind of thing. They've been doing it all along, but God's word has been suffering. So they knew that their job, what they were sent for, what they were called to do was teach God's word. So they had to say, okay, we're going to get some people, seven guys, and we're going to let them take care of this business. And they have a criteria here, just like the criteria that Jephro gave Moses. Able men, strong men who were willing to do this. So, But here... You have now in the, in the new covenant, men of good reputation. And look at the kicker, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit, which wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. So this was important to these guys. The apostle Paul takes it further even still. Everywhere the apostle Paul, he appointed elders in the cities to take care of the business. Ephesus. He had elders there. When he writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy how to select these elders, the criteria for the elders. He says to Titus, appoint elders in every city. So it continues and it moves on down. So we have this great model of leadership. And it's a great, and it's a clear analogy now between the leadership of Moses, the leadership of the apostles in Acts 6, the leadership of Paul, and today's church. It's a great model for today's church and the leadership of a pastor among God's people. The analogy fits, maybe not on every point, but it fits. God was recognized as the true leader. This church is God's church. You are his sheep. You don't belong to me. You belong to God. The leader could not do the work of the leadership alone. Even though we seem to be small, we are large. And we have a lot of things going on. There are a lot of different things. You would be surprised at what happens behind the scene. 
you would be surprised at all the work that needs to be done to keep the church moving forward. I was surprised when I came down here nine years ago. By the way, it'll be nine years tomorrow. Nine years tomorrow that I made it to come. Praise God. It'll be nine years tomorrow exactly. It was the first day. It was the first Sunday I taught as pastor at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Nine years ago tomorrow, Valentine's Day. But God sent me down here with a job to do, and that was to teach his word. You know, but there's so much about a church. And the one thing that bugs me about the church is the business end of the church. Bills have to be paid. Things have to be ordered. All those kind of things. Little nitpicky things. But the leader doesn't, isn't able to do the work by themselves. The leader has a responsibility to pray and to teach. The leader then must select, train if necessary, and give authority to other people. We give authority to other people. I have an assistant pastor. His job is he's the worship leader, and he also runs a ministry called Freedom Through Christ, and he also does many, many other things. The ministry of the commons, the ministry of Victoria Manor, the ministry over at Conifer Village, the Beachcomber Ministry. So those are things that were handed out to him. And then there are elders and leaderships around there. Bill's a teaching elder. Bill teaches in the back. He fills in every now and then on Wednesday nights and things like that. Bill helps us and those kind of stuff, all right? You have Kevin, who has a job in the kitchen and who does much more than just the kitchen work, but he does so much more there. Carl, who's back there, who has the parking lot, he has security, he has all kinds, does the announcements, does all sorts of things. Todd runs the children's ministry. He's responsible for everything that happens back there in the children's ministry. So we've surrounded ourselves with people who do work, who do the work. I don't have to do all the things by myself. I oversee everything. Um, I oversee them. I have to do some things, but that's okay. I don't mind doing them. But that's what Solomon has to do right now. He's got to get people on his side. And I'm loving the fact that I've been surrounded with men who love God with all their hearts, who are very supportive, who are very loving, and what they do is they basically hold up my arms. They hold up my arms. That's what the leader wants, is people who will be around him who are like-minded. And I've never had such like-minded men in my life. It's wonderful to be surrounded by like-minded men. So Solomon now is going to appoint these people, and he starts out with his inner circle, so to speak, his officials, they're called. Let's read verses 1 through 6. So King Solomon was king over all Israel. He was king over all Israel now. Judah in the south and Israel in the north had been connected. They've been connected together now, okay? So they're one. And these were his officials. Some of these names you'll recognize. Azariah, the son of Zadok the priest. Elahoreph, and Adijah, the sons of Shishma, scribes. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers. Zadbud, and the son of Nathan, a priest and friend's, king's friend. Ahishar, over the household of Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. So he had these guys. These were his guys. These were the ones who were closest to him, and he would then give them leadership over various parts of the kingdom. He had confidence in them, and when you put somebody in ministry, you have confidence in them. 
You have some sort of confidence in them, and you expect certain things out of them. And if you have to worry about the person constantly, well, then they, maybe they shouldn't be in ministry. If it's a constant trouble to having them in the position, you can't worry about that. So you put people in there that you know are good leaders, full of the Holy Spirit, and are recognizing God's true need, and they've been called to leadership. They've been called, and that's an important thing. They have a calling upon their life, and it's recognizable. So you recognize that calling. In verses 7 through 19, and in 27 and 28, we read of the 12 governors now appointed by Solomon. Let's go from 7 to 19. And Solomon had 12 governors over all of Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. These names are Ben-Hur. Now, you ever wonder where Charlton Heston got that name? There it is right there, Ben-Hur. But it's not Judah Ben-Hur. It was, it was in the movie. Remember that. In the mountains of Ephraim. Ben Decker in Mekaz, Sha'albim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Beth Hammon. Ben Asad in Arabah. To him belong Sukkoth and all the land of Hefer. Ben Abinadad. Ben usually means son of. Ben Abinadad in all the regions of Dor. He had Tapeth, the daughter of Solomon, as wife. Ba'ana, the son of Ahilud, in Ta'anak, Medigo, and all Beth Shein. We went to Beth Shein and we went to Medigo while we were over there, which is beside Sertan below Jezreel, from Beth Shein to Abel Meholeh, as far as the other side of Joknim. Ben Geber, now that's not the guy from the baby food, that's not Gerber, okay? Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead. To him belonged the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh in Gilead. To him also belonged the region of Argob in Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Yeah. I still got something to go, man. Hang on now. Hang on now. These are the interesting ones here. Ahinadab, the son of Edo in Mathaheim. Ahimaz of Naphtali, Naphtali, he also took Basemath, the daughter of Solomon, as wife. I gotta laugh. I've never heard a name of Basemath. I want you to meet my babe, Basemath. I don't know. I'm sure she was a lovely woman. Benani, the son of Hushai, in Asher and Aluth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua, in Ishkasar. Shemai, the son of Ella, in Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Shahon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan. He was the only governor who was in the land. Now, if you listen to them on the TV or where you, if you have a place where they pronounce them, I probably pronounced every single one of them wrong. So, Solomon divided the nation into some territory, even some of the territory that was conquered by David, into 12 districts. What did this do? This is important. Solomon was ignoring tribal boundaries. Up until this point, if you were a Benjamite, Mm, you were strong, and your tribal boundaries were strong. If you were from Judah, you were tough and rugged, and your boundaries were strong, and tribes used to fight against tribes. Solomon erased all that. And he probably, see, what was he trying to do? Make them one nation. 
He was trying to make them one nation of Jews, the Israelites, children of God. So he was breaking down barriers. But each district had to provide food for the king's table one month out of the year. And these men that were now there, they had to collect taxes. They had to get people for the armies. They had to recruit building for the building projects. We're getting ready to go into the building of the temple, which is no small task. This is no small task to build the temple according to God's design. It is no small task, and there has to be a lot of people to help. Solomon wanted to lessen the tension between the tribes, especially between the two nations, Judah and Israel. Remember, there were two different nations at one time. David saw to it that they were restored to one nation. Solomon's going to keep them that way for a while. It's going to be real shaky until one after Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam, there'll be a split again and they'll go back. And there'll be two nations once again. God had to restore Israel. And he wanted to continue to restore Israel. So the tension and the problem between the tribes had to be quelled. I mean, after all, where did the 12 tribes come from? Anybody? Jacob. Jacob had... 13 children, and he named them all, and the 12 tribes came from them. You can find all about that in Genesis all the way through. Jacob had these children. They were brothers. All the tribes were once brothers. Yes, they had different mothers, but they were all brothers. So Solomon was trying to get them all to come back again, trying to come back again, but it failed. Why did it fail? The same reason unity fails today, petty differences. Petty differences. Judah was the royal tribe. Judah was the royal tribe. All the kings would come from Judah after Saul, the Benjamite. And because of that, they weren't redistricting because they were the royal city was inside Judah. So everybody was jealous of Judah already, and they were angry at them. But there's some special distinctions that Solomon makes, and let's read 20 through 28. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand of the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. They were having a great time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They were having a ball. Remember, there was peace all around. David had killed all the enemies. David had peace. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms of the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day, are you ready for this? Was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fattened oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. Well, we had so many wives and concubines, they all had to eat. So look at this, this is his one day provisions. He had dominion over the region on the side of the river from Tipash, even Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. There was peace everywhere. The nation had never known such peace. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses or his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. You are sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 1 Kings or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you, and if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand and we'd still love for you to be part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com and don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we are grateful that you were a part of our listening audience today. Be sure to join us again next time for more from First Kings right here on Assure Hope.